Hello and welcome to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast produced by me, Fraser McGrew, for Aleph Insights. In this series of podcasts, we take a look at interesting topics and discuss what we think they tell us about analysis and decision making. I'm here with Nick Hare and Chris Ragg of Aleph Insights, and this week we're discussing Berkner Island. So um, we're talking about Berkner Island, uh, Nick. I presume this is you've just come back from Berkner Island on your from your holidays. Is that is that about right? No, uh, I was actually in Wales, then Alton Towers, but um, not not it's not that far from Berkner Island, right. which is in the Antarctic. Ah, um, Berkner Island, yeah, is what they call an ice rise. What in, is an ice rise? Well, it's basically where the ice is slightly higher up because of some land underneath it in the Antarctic. Okay. So it's called Berkner Island, but in fact, it's all covered in ice. And okay. um, it, in, fa- in fact, if the ice wasn't there, Berkner Island, so-called, would be underwater. This sounds like a pretty rubbish island. So it was it's discovered... Not, isn't an island that's something that sticks out of water? Yeah, well, it so does because of the ice. straight away. Because of the ice. It oh, does. it does because of the ice. What? Yeah. The ice on top of it makes it, makes stick, it stick out, out but of it water. wouldn't stick out if it weren't for the ice. Does it stick out more than the stuff around it? Not really. It's an ice rise. It sounds really Not unimpressive. Not an ice island. Um, okay. So it, it was discovered in, by members of the United States International Geophysical Year Party at Ellsworth Station. Yeah. Under the leadership of one Captain Finn Ron of the United States Navy Reserve. Yeah. In 1957. How would um, you discover something and they like just, that? Well, you could sail there and you go look at that. And then they, then they said, what should we call it? And they decided to name it after the American physicist, Lloyd Berkner, who was an engineer with the Bird Antarctic Expedition in 1930. So you're probably sitting there thinking that's not very interesting. Well, I'm actually more confused about how they even saw it, because if it was all hidden by ice, but I don't think we should no, get because it's higher up. It's a nice rise. It's like, how can you see a hill? Because okay. it's surrounded by land, okay. but I mean, because right. it's higher than the rest of the area. How did they figure out there was land on it? Anyway, I shouldn't. Don't, yeah, anyway. Science. So it's not very, I've got to be honest, with the best will in the world, I can't get myself too worked up about Berkner Island, except for this one fact, mm. which is it was the last piece of Earth mm. to be discovered. Yeah. Nowadays, of course, with satellite imagery, we've seen everything, haven't we? Mm. But in those days, that didn't exist. And nobody had ever been there and and had a look at it and said, oh, OK, that's what's I there. don't think it counts. Well, let, let's, it was the, until 1957, a map of the Earth would have had a blank spot there, and and it doesn't now, and indeed nowhere does, and nowhere has since since this uh, 1957 expedition, right? Now, what that means is, since 1957, there's no land on Earth mm. left to discover, mm. and in fact, um, that we know of. Well, the problem <laughs> is we do, don't we? In fact, they're yeah, even undiscovering things, aren't they? Because Sandy Island famously was undiscovered in 2012 what? yeah sandy island which had been on the maps for hundreds of years um because i think even captain cook saw it yeah well it's not there it it's not away. there it's sort of midway between australia and vanuatu and uh and in 2012 someone went there and said you know what isn't here sandy island so they, they took they, it off they, the map they bought the the the, the bucket and spades exactly they're looking forward to a lovely yeah. weekend there but yeah. no 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 sandy island so so anyway i i I, you know, it's a bit sad, isn't it, that we've discovered everything on Earth. Mm. Um, the age of discovery has well and truly ended. Have we lost something uh, through 
getting rid of all this mystery if not where is the mystery that's still out there and do we sort of need it psychologically need the feeling that there are still things that are undiscovered and, mm. it, and if not you know if we lose that what have we lost mm. so a big bunch of questions there there are a lot of questions there um how do you want to kick off chris what do you want to well i mean i i think it's quite informative to look at our rate of um global discovery mm -hmm. exploration mm -hmm. you know so if you look at the time of our um of homo sapiens speciation so you know 300,000 years ago the first uses you mm. know were were kind of recognizable um and that it took about 100,000 years for them to make their way out of kind of the east africa ethiopia bit that they were they mm. were in mm. into the the rest of uh you know outside of that sort of um immediate vicinity and that you know it was then another 75,000 years before they were down to the sort of tip of southern africa mm. um so you know it took them 100,000 years to get not very far another 75,000 years to get quite a bit further but then you know 70,000 years or so ago um coming out of uh out of um africa and you know reaching places like india uh 3,000 years later getting into southeast asia so again you know moving more and more it's like quickly they got the hang of it they got something. the hang of it yeah. exactly um or presumably more numerous by this stage so more of them to to go out mm. you know 40 50,000 years ago into Australasia you know Europe maybe more like 40,000 years ago you know one of the great ironies about you know Europeans discovering everything is actually Europe was a you know one Pretty of the late. last places to yeah. actually be uh, uh, inhabited and then you know North America 25,000 years ago but parts of um Polynesia Canada, northern yeah, sorry, northern yeah. Canada and Greenland 4,000 years ago and then yes Polynesia uh 2000 years ago you know and they they think that the last sort of notable you know um uh, place to to have been bumped into with you know um a, a human habitation was was um the Auckland Islands off uh off New Zealand mm, um, mm. so so obviously there's a rate of acceleration and then you know but clearly those humans didn't all stay in touch with one another which is why you then get you know the discovery of 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 the new world um, mm -hmm. Even though it had already been been discovered, well, it turns out um, there were li people living there. I know, yeah. I know. How dare they? <laughs> Second hand, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so, so I think that is quite interesting. That actually, it took us a long time to find anywhere, really. You know, and 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 these places, um, actually, you know, Europe was already inhabited by Neanderthals and parts of uh, Asia by other sort of. Um, uh, yeah. you know distant well, distant relatives to, to homo sapiens but you know and and then very rapidly everything was was suddenly discovered. but also it might not even had a sense of discovery about it so let's say there you are forty thousand years ago in southern europe um and you might just be oh let's go to the next valley you know and you just hang out there for another hundred years or so and there's so so the yeah might... but, the, but here's the thing yeah um what it means is that throughout the whole of human history there's mm. been a next valley yeah. right yeah i mean it's only really recently we're talking about the last four thousand years that someone somewhere hasn't had a bit of land they can go and explore 
mm. um, or at least move to where there aren't any other humans. Mm, mm. Um, now, I know most people weren't in that position, but someone was in that position. So, Chris, I mean, you've sort of sketched out there sort of, you know, the evolution of hu- human movement. Well, yeah. So so I think I think this sort of shows us uh, that our, our capacity. So obviously the um, the the prevalence, the number of humans has increased massively, which has driven migration, presumably. Right. You know that people have been looking for virgin territory and so on. Um, but that in turn has. You know, so as soon as you find a new place, you can stick more people in it and you can have more people and support more people. Right. So there's there's a little bit of, um, uh, you know, interreliance there. Um, but the rate at which we can explore has accelerated. And we've now got to the stage where we've reached the limits of, of our planet. But obviously, you know, our technological abilities and, uh, you know, the resources available to us have enabled us to, you know, get to the moon for for example so you know we put people on on the moon which i still can't quite no i'm, I'm still with you, can't I'm quite quite fathom um in fact i was out um i was out walking the other night with, with my wife along the seafront and it was a harvest moon and mm. i could see it and I, I and i had this moment where i i actually doubted that we had we had got there i had that, yeah, no, that it's sort all of conspiracy moment and i thought wait a minute they actually got there the first time they tried in earnest without loads of people dying. You know, you think about most of human exploration, you know, getting across to North America. I bet mm. hundreds of humans died in that process. And you think they made this kit, they tested it, and then they actually used it in earnest mm. and they landed and they got there. And I just I just had this moment where I doubted it. But obviously, you know, um, they, they... There's did, probably they, there's other reasons to think that it did happen. Yeah, yeah exactly. Moment there, there down are. on the seafront. Uh, so... But but the point is, um, you know, we've we've kind of, as Nick said, exhausted our ability to to walk around places on our own planet. And people yeah. talk about, you know, um, underwater being this great unexplored area. And, but we're not actually going to go there and see it, really, are, are yeah. we? You know, so yeah, yeah. We've, we're driving space exploration now and you're getting commercial space exploration, ex- accelerating SpaceX and uh, Virgin and all of these companies appealing to this notion of where can, where can I go? You know, so we've got this fundamental drive to go to virgin territories. Mm-hmm. Uh, and where's that going to take us now we've reached this this point where we can't do that on our own planet. But also, I mean, is are, there, are the other things that we can go to as interesting as what we could, could find here, right? Well, that's because my concern. I think the Congo is more interesting than the moon. Yeah, I mean, you know, and there is a sense in which there were probably things hidden in the deep jungles which we don't know about um but they're gonna there's not gonna be that much is there mm. there are some interesting things down there it is interesting the ocean do you want to know mm. some of the weird things that are going on there? yes some of which we still can't really explain so i didn't black smokers which they now think are a very plausible story for the origin of life were only discovered in 1949 these are volcanic sort of hydrothermal vents yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, they only discovered those in 1949, and um, you know we they've been hugely informative about um, about how life, the forms in which life can extract energy from things. Um, the Mid Atlantic Ridge, indeed, which is where the two plates collide, uh, wasn't discovered till 1853. So that's you know uh, that's not that that long ago. Um, anyway, weird stuff. So the Milky Sea phenomenon. That rings a bell. It's where the sea turns milky. Okay. Uh, where does that it happen? It was not 
sailors have been talking about it a lot mm. uh, over the centuries, but it was only photographed in 2006 in a satellite photo. Where? They think it's something to do with bioluminescent bacteria or something. Where is this? Don't know. Okay. Anywhere. Anywhere you sea. like. But the Milky Sea will just pop up. Surprise mm. you. Um, the Purple Orb of 2016. What? Nautilus, deep sea exploration vessel, found okay. a purple orb. The picture of a big purple ball and no one knows what it is. <laughs> um, the giant squid... Yeah. Again, sailors have been going on about them, haven't they, for years. And everyone said, ah, giant squids, what a fib. And um, the first photograph for giant squid was? 2016. No, oh, 2004. Right. And it, and the first video of one wasn't till 2012. Yeah. Um, largest waterfall in the world. It's a bit of a push, I know, to call it a waterfall. 11,000 feet waterfall is underwater okay. <laughs> in somewhere called the Denmark Strait Cataract. And is it heavier, heavier water or something? Yeah, or? Uh, cold. Yeah. Cold, cold water. So therefore, then you've got yeah. the 1997 South Pacific bloop, which the origin of which has never been explained. What's it, the 1977? 1997, 1997. South Pacific bloop. What's the South Pacific bloop? Um, it was a noise that went bloop, and no one knows why. <laughs> and then there was the immortal jellyfish. Uh, okay. which was discovered in the 1990s. And um, this, they think it might, if they can work out how it works, they might be able to cure ageing or cancer or something with it. Because um, it's immortal. Uh, and then, then there's, of course, the abyssal zone, which is half the ocean, uh, almost entirely unexplored. One voyage in 2017 discovered like dozens of new species on this one trip uh, to explore the abyssal zone. So so it's. I think I've seen people say only 5% of the ocean floor is... Uh, is is properly mapped and understood, mm, mm. you know. But as you say, we're not going to all move there mm. and have holidays there, are we? Um, so, so uh, you know, I think I think even though you can comfort yourself with okay, well, look, we still loads of ocean we don't know about. It's just not as fun as cutting through a jungle and finding a hidden city or a lost tribe. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So, so yeah. So I think I think there's that. There's I mean, we we Chris mentioned space. Yeah, as Douglas Adams said, space is big, very big, and and um, you know, there's lots of these space mysteries like dark matter and dark energy and where the antimatter is, and uh, there's loads of these weird types of star which they think might exist, but not for some of them aren't going to come into play for squillions of years, like the blue dwarf and the we, black. We're dwarf. never going to get there though. To these no, places. no. It, well, hang on, but I mean that's the thing. So there's all these other things like. Uh, a boson star which they think might exist or a, or a dark energy star which could exist theoretically mm, mm. um uh lots of these potential interesting stars the, there's a, a a fuzzball which is something you can have which is made out of black holes in string theory mm. um and uh, uh they've discovered there's a thing called a the thorn zitkov object mm. which is uh, a red giant with a neutron star at its center um uh, so, yeah, I mean, look, there's lots of interesting stuff out in space. But the question is, I think that secretly the reason we all are talking about space exploration, why we're really interested in finding exoplanets, because so, deep down we want to find another Earth to go and explore. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 I, I find it um, I, when we had lockdown, um, I was doing the, the, uh, when it first happened. And they were like, oh, right, your kids aren't going to school. Mm. There's no support. You just have to sort something out with them. Yeah. And so I went back to some fundamental science and was, was doing this. And I, I, I was watching this video with my kids about the size of the universe, right? right. So there's the observable universe. right? Yeah. So, well, our galaxy uh, right, is something like a quintillion 
kilometers across, a million trillion thousand ki- light years, I think. Yeah, exactly. Within the observable universe, they think there are potentially two trillion galaxies, right? Mm. So our galaxy is unbelievably large. You've then got this uh, huge number of galaxies, all with an unimaginable space between them. Mm. And that's just the observable um, universe. They think that the observable universe could be could be a trillion trillion times smaller than the actual universe well, so, how on earth they know that given yeah, that they can't exactly. see it I, um, I don't but know. based but, on um, based on you know, calculations about the stuff. acceleration and you know from the big bang and so on wow. so um so the the thing is like inconceivably vast right mm. um and we've got this issue where we can only we can only physically observe a certain a tiny you know minute portion of it um and we can only hope to get to an unbelievably small amount of it. Mm. Um, and uh, so that is that is quite an intriguing challenge to us. Because at one, at one point, presumably, getting to North America felt unachievable. Uh, oh. You know, I mean, albeit not by the laws of physics, but, you know, did, did feel difficult. And we've now got this incredibly you know, vast space that we're starting to comprehend and, and learn about and observe to some extent um, that offers all these possibilities. And, and so and I think that, you know, if you look at the fundamental thing driving why people uh, explore, it, it must be curiosity about the unknown. Right. Mm, mm. And so we've now got all of this un- unknown to, to drive our curiosity. So I, I do think. But it's, we, it's all the more tantalizing. It's actually all the more exciting and yet, it's seemingly forever beyond reach. I mean, also, I mean, it all seems quite theoretical. Yes. Yeah. I wonder if that's that's <clears throat> is that better or worse? Mm. Like, I mean, at least in on Earth, you think, well, it's just over that horizon, as you say. We're not prevented by the laws of physics from getting there. On the other hand, maybe you know, people must have felt that way about the moon mm. through nearly the whole of human history. People have thought, what is that thing? And and wouldn't it be fun to go there? Mm. Um, and that desire, I suppose, has been what's driven our ability to do that at all. Who knows? I mean, I know um, our current understanding is that faster than light travel isn't possible. But what would people have said about what was possible 500 years ago mm, you know, compared mm. to what we know now? Um, what, what do we, we need to stop fairly soon. We're probably time to discuss if there's any other points you want to make, we've got time for that. If not, of we can move on to some other things. Yeah, well, I I think um, I I think there's a, a, a sort of interesting the or the crux of this is not just about well you know what else is there out there to discover. We know there's loads of things out there to discover, but I think the the sort of analytical question is why why do people go and do that? Right? Why do you have these Shackletons and these mm. Degamas and you know so on who who wander off and find these places or the U.S. you know Marine or whatever he he was who found the ice rise, hmm. um, and you know what what is that ab- about? And uh, and um, because you know like space exploration, you know kind of the, the NASA justification is well, you know, give us billions of dollars, and we'll give you a Teflon frying pan, and we'll give you a nonstick frying pan, uh, and we might find some some sort of cool stuff. But you know, so it's the process of of exploring things that drives technological change that give you ancillary benefits in in the rest of your life as well as you might you know 
find something. But I, I don't think that cuts it. I think, you know, I think we're after El Dorado, right? You know, that's we're, we're, we're going um, with some specific aim, but without without knowing what it is. It's that, uh, you know, it's almost like Rumsfeldian. It's that, that we believe there are some unknown unknowns out there mm. and we're kind of hoping to bump into them. And I, I don't think it's any... I mean, we we had a podcast years ago about um, about flies in conservatories, yeah, and why flies can't get out of conservatories, and we were looking at the idea of random bounce, right? Yeah, you know, yeah. That they pick a direction and they just fly down, and 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 they and that's why they just bounce around in your conservatory. And I think, and that's a strategy for finding stuff, right? Bees do it to find the next the next plant to you know get the nectar from, mm. um, and ants do it in order to you know bump into a. a a pot of jam or something um and i think that's what what we're essentially doing is we are yeah we're random random bouncing around around our environment in order to hopefully turn up um uh you know a flower or a pot of jam i think you can make a plausible argument i mean obviously humans are driven to resolve uncertainty um for its own sake you know it's it's something that is an end for us to try and do is if there's uncertainty, we want to resolve it. We have a primal urge to resolve uncertainty, to find out what's over that hill. And um, this is one of the reasons people claim that there's such a thing as, you know, addiction to the internet, because information is always, we just like it for its yeah, own yeah, sake. Yeah. And, um, you you know, I think Chris touched on this, the sort of expansion. I mean, you, perhaps it's not so much the um, uh, expansion which drove uh, humanity's success, but our desire to expand which which enabled us to do that in the first place you know that actually we evolved the desire to well let's get let's walk across that plane and see what's there um well that sort of brings me on to a question i want to ask actually but before i do there's just a quick memory i want to share which i remember about 13 years ago is when i was in honduras and um um and i was a dive master over there which i've talked about a few times but i remember on this one particular day, we were diving, you know, you'd have your usual dive sites that you go to. But on this particular day, we went to what was essentially a set of underwater um, ravines, probably about 20, 30 meters. Um, and I remember, and they really were quite narrow. And I remember, um, and get, they get quite dark as well. But it's not scary because you're not in an overhead environment, you know. Um, and I just remember being at the back, as a dive master, you're always at the back of the group. And I remember being at the back of this group in this what to me felt really like an obscure place on earth and um just quite dark and i let everyone go away from me for a bit and just sitting there thinking there there i'm not the first person to have to have swum here um there will have been others but not many and it it did really feel like uh it was quite thrilling actually Mm. uh, being in this what felt to me like Mm. quite an obscure little place and uh, it was it was a nice moment it was a nice moment um my question is this Let's see if you think it's a good question. If you could have been an explorer, which actual explorer or what? where would you have liked to have discovered? Who would you like to have been? Um, what do we think to that? Would you like to answer that? Yeah. Yeah. Because I know what I would lo- I know who I would like to have been. But that's only because I've been thinking about it for five minutes. Um, well, shall I start off? Yeah, if you've got an answer. Captain Cook. That's who I would have liked to have Didn't been. Didn't end terribly well. Didn't end me. well. Like I've always wanted to go to Hawaii, he thought to himself. Yeah, and <laughs> and it all went wrong. Uh, no, it didn't end well. But I think discovering. I mean, I've got a thing about. I've never been there. I've got a thing about the South Pacific. 
that I would love to spend some time there. And just the thought of discovering all those islands and the people there and going to places like Tahiti. Yeah, the South Pacific and discovering those islands and this bloody great big continent-sized sort of place as well. Um, And just the thought of the sea and there's that sense of adventure about it as well. So so that's that's kind of my thing. I think the thing... Yeah, the thing about Cook, which is sort of... um, you know, by the time they were going in that direction, they must have had a degree of comfort about the... Yes, it was uncharted territory and so on, but they must have been reasonably confident about their technological superiority yeah. and yeah. and the safety of what they were doing. So it was sort of like exploration, but exploration from the perspective of having a safety net yeah you've got a bit of a safety um, net there uh and yeah so i so i so in a way that feels like not quite true exploration like you know when i think about the people who went across to north america for example and apparently this was by the ice bridge that was there at the time they like you know they kind of had no knowledge of what was beyond them no um nothing to fall back on other than yeah. what they were carrying with them. And uh, and I that, to me, is utterly terrifying. And I, I have no idea what drives people to, to, do, to do that, you know, to go completely, you know, completely blind into territory where you don't know if there's going to be any food or you, anything. You, and you might walk off the end of the world. You, you might walk off the end of the world, exactly. That, that. But would that be your choice or that's your... Well, I think because um, I agree, you're right. You've got a, there's an element of safety net about you know. With, I, mean, with, I mean, I think un, undoubtedly, what would be amazing, right, is to be standing on the moon looking at the Earth. So you know, your your um, uh, your your initial um, you know moon landers. Mm. I think that that kind of is incomparable. You know. Very few people can ever have possibly had that kind of uh, that kind of experience. But the actual process of getting up there, mm. I, there's no way I would be equipped um, psychologically right. to, to to do that. You know. Um, but also, I feel with the moon, when you get there, there's not a whole lot there. There's not a whole lot there. But actually, nice you know, they weren't. They weren't. The, the journey wasn't that huge. You know, it's what what four hundred thousand kilometers or something. You know, yeah. it's not that that massive it didn't take them that long to get there it's not like going to mars or something mm. but um so you know you kind of it's manageable in terms of journey but ju- so but just the the terror of going through space i just think um yeah that's yeah no absolutely you'd have to be quite a, a special kind of personality um nick um yeah i've got a board game about um polynesia <clears throat> and i have to say i think that's i mean it, this is more being impressed with it really Rather than, um, rather than. What's the uh, name of the game? It sounds brilliant. <laughs> oh, uh, Conquest of Paradise. Oh wow! Okay. Um, so it's it's the it, the the fact that you know uh, it's just still it boggles my mind that in an era, you know, well before we were uh, Europeans were, you know, going uh, for sort of long sea voyages in in the middle of nowhere. You know, they they were had this ability to make maps um, and. Uh, you know, explore in a, what seems to be some sort of systematic way and survive long sea voyages. Mm. And then, you know, the, then they would turn up on an island which was uninhabited and genuinely new. Imagine that. Imagine being the first human to set foot on Hawaii. Mm. That's been awesome. 
Yeah. You know, whereas when the Europeans got to all these places, there were already humans there by and large. But the question is, how many rafts didn't Sand. get to, didn't get to Hawaii, right? And that that's where I think that to me is the most heroic kind of of, of, of exploration yeah. and one which I'm utterly unsuited to. But the idea of getting on a, a raft, thinking, yeah, there's probably you know there's probably an island out there that we're going to land on. But maybe there isn't, right? Yeah. And you yeah. know, I don't know. What, I don't know if there's any data on the the rate of survival of those things. But certainly, you know, I know there's talk about um, the 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 most the most likely to survive people. Uh, you know, are the are the ones who now who now exist. You know, in some of those some of those places. Well, I don't think. Um, I mean. The populations weren't enormous, so they couldn't have just been going out in every conceivable direction yeah. in well-supplied ships, hoping to hit something. I mean, there must have been an, a systematic element yeah. to it. So, um, yeah. So I, 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 that's fired my imagination. I'm just imagining all three of us as, as you know, um, Nick as a Polynesian seafaring type, yes. um, Chris as a as an astronaut. And myself as a you know as a seafaring as a plunderer a plunder there we go yes seafaring plunderer type person um, yeah no I like it all right we'll stop there uh, I enjoyed that um, as always thanks for listening if you have any thoughts or suggestions for topics you can email us at podcast at uh, we'd love to hear from you also if you enjoyed the podcast Nick what should you do make your way on that long lonely sea voyage to the like button. Indeed, you should. Thanks as always for listening. I'm Fraser McGrew. We've been here with Nick Hare and Chris Rag of Aleph Insights. Until next time, goodbye. Right, music has just faded, but here is a little postscript. Um, it's me and Nick um, as we're speaking to each other um, after the episode which you've just heard was recorded. So we're speaking at a later date. Nick, why are we speaking to each other at a later date? Well, we've just uh we've just been telling the listeners all about how there's nothing left to discover on earth and in a remarkable twist the the mm. very day we recorded that mm. there was an article in the explorer's gazette which i happened to pick up when i was in the reform club and uh um, hold on hold on yeah were you re you were really in the reform club? no it was on bbc news okay, i was trying to right. i was trying to hark back to the golden age of uh, travel exploration exploration yeah. right sorry go so ahead. um so so uh uh, that some scientists have gone to uh, a place called Greenland, which you might have heard of, and they've discovered a new island there. Mm. So, okay. you know, remarkably, on the on the very day we were saying there's nothing left to discover, where you know this this new thing appears. Apparently, it's called Udark. No, the thing they were looking for was called Udark, and they found this entirely new island uh, while they were trying to find the other island. Um, and it is sadly there is not a huge thriving civilization there um, full of people with unusual customs because it's only right. 60 by 30 meters oh. but it's nevertheless apparently the most northerly island in the world so I, there we are okay well look, actually I, to be honest i just find this hugely annoying because it, it it just means actually that you know we've just had to record this um we've i'm gonna have to re-edit and put this back into the episode and um so what we're saying is can they stop doing it please yeah <laughs> stop this so as far Let's as just i'm draw a line under it that's it no new islands now yeah yeah no yeah 
It's a bit like no more nation states, like Douglas Hurd yeah. said, no new islands. Um, okay, well, that's it. You know, like I say, um, I'm glad this whole dis- age of discovery thing is, is over then because it's just very, very inconveniencing. So that's my thought. Yeah. Do you want to know what it's called? Uh, all right, go on. What's it called? Kekatakavanalek. It's not, is it? It is Kekatakavanalek. <laughs> but for, how, why is it called Kekatakavanalek? And the other one, and its mate that they were looking for is called Udark. It I mean, means it means it means the northernmost island in Greenlandic, apparently. Um, that's what they want it to be called. I think there's probably some official process whereby it actually gets officially named that. But look out for it in all your maps. Yeah, island. island take your maps, take your yeah. maps, throw them away. Exactly. You'll need new maps now. That's uh, thanks to this astonishing discovery. Yeah, there we go. All right. Well, thank you very much for that update and good to speak to you again, Nick. Mm-hmm.